0: everyone my name is sarah i serve with the young adults ministry and i also volunteer at the church office and today i have the the privilege of reading today's scripture so if you would please stand with me Um, we're in matthew 16 chapter 24 or it's chapter 16 verses 24 through 28 then jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me Thank you, sir. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time this morning. We ask that you uh, would just bless this time. God, I thank you that the heavy lifting to do in your word is not done by me, but by your spirit. And so I pray this morning that you go before me. I pray, God, that you'd give me the words to speak. And I ask, God, that we'd all come before you this morning with open hearts to receive what it is you have for us. Uh, we give this time to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. How's everybody doing? So stoked to be here this morning, or what? I gotta amp you guys up because it just feels a little mellow in here this morning, all right? Church isn't a place you come to to feel more down, you know what I mean? It should be a place that we come to to actually feel blessed and grateful for the, the God that we serve, amen? Um, turn to Matthew 16 with me. Before we get going, I want to just thank those of you who are praying for my family and our staff as we fought through COVID for a couple weeks. It was pretty brutal and I, um, I just am so grateful for the text messages. I'm grateful for the drive-by prayers by my house. I'm grateful for the meals that were dropped off and um, just the encouragement and the prayers from this church. It was really cool. It, it sort of made me think in the midst of a really crazy season in our city with COVID and you know, its impacts on people in different ways and families and friends, um, it made me think for people that don't have community with one another, what a hard existence that is, because uh, I felt extremely grateful for the people that cared for us and looked after I felt like a delinquent parent for about 12 days because my wife and I were like bedridden and my kids were like good after three days. And we were just like, you guys are fending for yourselves, man, you know, like I can't get out of bed. and. Uh, But to watch as people brought us meals and everything, I just kept thinking not everybody has that luxury. And what an amazing time as a church. If you're looking for opportunity to be activated as the hands and the feet of Jesus, there's no better time to be alive than right now. There's opportunities around us with friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members and people that we can be serving. And so just wanna encourage you guys to keep up the good work and keep looking for those opportunities to serve the people around us. So Matthew 16, Twenty-four through twenty-eight is where we'll be out today. Uh, So at the end of June, we sort of took a break from the Book of Matthew. If you've been around here for any period of time, you know historically we like to teach through books of the Bible. We've spent about a year and a half in the first part of Matthew through sixteen. At the end of June, we took a break from Matthew. We did our Voices series throughout July into the first week of August, and then throughout August, we talked through some of the songs of ascent in the Psalms. And then I got sick. And so um, now as I'm coming back into this, honestly, this week for me has been kind of anxiety-ridden because I've got this weird COVID fog going on that I've been like, oh my gosh, I'm going to retain the information. So if, the mor- if this morning feels super scattered and you're just like, I'm more confused than I was before I came, well then I have an excuse. I had COVID, all right? So deal with it. Um, Anyway, we wrapped up uh, the, at the end of June with Matthew uh, 16. We had studied up through verse 23. And so we're going to pick up back there this morning. But if you were here before we hit pause on Matthew, you'll remember where we left off because it was this week of movement, like a week where we began transitioning from the ministry of Jesus in the region of Galilee in northern Israel. So there's different regions that Israel is divided up into. The northernmost part of Israel is this region referred to as Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And so... uh, the primary, like the earthly ministry of Jesus, his three, three and a half years that he spent actively engaged in ministry in his life, for the most part was spent in this region in Galilee. And there were there were times every once in a while where Jesus would drop down to Jerusalem for the feasts. He was uh, an observant Jew, and so he'd take part of those feasts in Jerusalem, but most of his time was spent in this northern area. And so where we left off in Matthew 16, we sort of see this transition taking place. If you remember, Jesus takes his disciples up to this place called Caesarea Philippi in the northern area of Galilee, probably as far north as you can get. And uh, he poses this question to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, if you... Also remember, I talked about Caesarea Philippi basically being like the Las Vegas of their time, right? It was, there was a lot of heinous things, like debaucherous things going on in Caesarea Philippi. And so for Jesus to take his disciples on a few day journey up to Caesarea Philippi, as north as they could get, to actually ha- engage in this conversation with them, it's pretty interesting. And so Jesus gets them up there his disciples, and he poses this, questions to, this question to his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? And then Peter responds to him and says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, which leads to this revelation of sorts. If you remember in verse 21, where Jesus from that time on begins telling his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he has to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer there, that he's gonna die there, that he would be buried there, that he would rise again three days later in Jerusalem, that he must go there. And so that's where we left off in June. But one of the questions that we wrestled with where we left off was this question of why must Jesus go to Jerusalem? Like, why did he have to? Why does he use that language? Like, I must go to Jerusalem. And so he said it, that that it was a must from that time on. And it was a must that he had to go to Jerusalem. It was a must that these things should take place. And so when we left off, The answer that we suggested rested on verses 18 and 19, where Jesus makes several promises. He promised that uh, he would build his church. He would build his church. Take a deep breath. Is that not good news that Jesus is the one building the church? It's not really up to us. He's building his church. He promises that the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it, will not stand against it. And then he promised that these keys would be given. Uh, These keys that we talked about as being these keys of the gospel, the keys of the gospel that would literally free people from the bondage of hell. And so I had sort of suggested in June that Jesus must go to Jerusalem because those promises that Jesus gave literally rest on him dying and resurrecting. Like, he had to go through that in order for those promises to be fulfilled. And so that was where we left off. But there's something more to this which sort of leads into the passage that we're going through today regarding why Jesus must go to Jerusalem, why he had to. And I'll challenge you with this. It's because Jesus' Jesus's way must be our way. It is the same. We are encouraged to follow him, to to be led by his example. In other words, the the cross that was a must for Jesus is actually a must for you and I as well. And so there's another reason, which brings us to verses 24 through 28. And so I'll read through it verse by verse and, uh, and we'll talk through it. Verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Anybody read that verse before? If you grew up in the church, you've heard that verse dozens of times. And so you can stop there for a second. There's this sort of threefold call that Jesus gives in verse 24 it's this call to deny, it's this call to take. And it's this call to follow. We must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross, and we must follow Jesus. That's the call that he's giving his disciples. And what takes place in the rest of this passage is sort of Jesus laying out three reasons why. And I say that because it's interesting if you look at verses 25, 26, and 27, that each of those verses, if you're reading in the, in the ESV, begin with what word? Four. for, for. Um, so Jesus says that this is my call for you, that you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross, you must follow, and then he proceeds to share these reasons why in these three verses, and so that's kind of our outline this morning, and so I want to start with this call first, and then we'll get into the reasons. Jesus says specifically, if anyone would come after me, they must deny, take, and follow, and so I want you guys to notice that word anyone that he uses there because I think it's actually an important word in this passage because it tells us that this isn't only a call for the committed few, but it's actually a call for all of those that would identify themselves with Jesus and call themselves followers of Christ or Christians. And so if that's you, if you identify yourself with Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, this is your call. Like, this is it. it. Deny, take, and follow. Uh, It's a call for everyone. And it's as much a must for us as the journey was a must for Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem and all that he had to go through. And so this journey for us that begins with the denial of self, that they must, if they're to follow him, they must deny themselves. Many of us have heard this passage before again, maybe dozens or hundreds of times, but what the heck does that mean for us to deny ourselves? Well, I believe that the answer is sort of found in what Jesus reveals next when what he says in verse 24, that we need to take up our cross. In other words, we deny ourselves by taking up our cross. And so the question now is, What does that mean? What does it mean to take up our cross? Because there's a ton of misunderstanding about taking up our cross today, right? We talk about something sometimes being the cross that we bear. You guys have heard this phrase, right? Like, I'm just beautiful. It's the cross that I bear, right? You're like, that's stupid. You know, like that is not the the way that that verse is supposed to be, like intended to be received. But we also kind of use that phrase or that passage in reference to life circumstances. We, we use it in reference to hardship that we experience in our life, like uh, their sickness is the cross that they bear, or them losing their job is just the cross that they bear. Like that's the burden on their life. But is that what Jesus is actually talking about when he shares this? And I believe it means that we're, we're willing to take on what the cross represents, is what Jesus is saying. And so what does the cross represent? I think uh, I'm borrowing this, but uh, I think these categories are helpful. The cross represents this. The cross cross represents opposition. The cross represents shame. The cross represents suffering. And the cross represents death. And all of this coming as a result of what? Following Jesus. Choosing to follow him and taking up your cross. And so that's what it means to take up our cross. But here's the issue in 2021 in Coeur d'Alene is that we don't actually take up a literal cross. Anybody have a cross that they literally bear on a regular basis? We don't do that, right? We don't do that like Jesus did. We don't hang battered and bruised and beaten and naked before a jeering crowd like Jesus did. Nor do we live with the threat here in Coeur of getting arrested because we follow Jesus and being taken before this kangaroo court early in the morning like Jesus did. We don't face those kind of threats today. Some do, but, but we here in Coeur in 20, we're not facing those issues right now. But truth be told, for most of us in this room, we will never have to undergo any persecution in connection with Jesus today. Like, there's a good likelihood that most of us in this room will have to do that. And if we do, it's so minimal when you think about it. Now, I don't want to downplay some of what it is that you guys are going through in your life or what you're experiment, uh, experiencing right now, um, But my point is that in general, what we go through today is actually fairly tame in comparison to what Jesus and his his disciples had to experience. And I think that we would all recognize that. However, my challenge to you guys this morning is this, that that this text is as relevant for us today in 2021 in Coeur d'Alene as it was to the audience that Jesus is sharing it with 2000 years ago. It's as relevant to us today. It has the exact same relevance and practicality for us and so how do we approach this and i think that we approach this text in another way and so i want to consider what the cross represents from the opposite perspective. In other words, if the cross represents opposition and suffering and shame and death, then what is it that Jesus is actually calling you and I to deny? Because we're called to deny something, to deny ourselves. And if that's what picking up the cross is, then what practically speaking is Jesus asking us to deny? Like what are the opposites of that? And so Uh, What this means is that we're to deny approval, that we're to deny honor, that we're to deny comfort, that we're to deny this life. That's the opposite. The opposite of opposition is approval. The opposite of shame is honor. The opposite of suffering is comfort. The opposite of death is life. And so we are to deny those things. And I say that because there's backing for this idea all throughout the New Testament Like, for example, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, when talking about approval, he says this, Galatians 1.10, for I am now seeking the approval of man, uh, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then in Luke 14, when speaking of honor, Luke 14.8, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And then also in what Jesus says in Matthew 8, when he talks about comfort. Matthew 8, the the scribes come up to Jesus and they say, we want to follow you. And then Jesus's response to them in verse 20 is, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And then lastly, in what Paul writes in Colossians 3 when speaking of death, he says in verse 3, for you have died, like if you're in Christ, you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that last verse makes sense, doesn't it? Because death is the end, uh, the, the, the end game of the cross. That was the objective of the cross was to actually kill someone. It was uh, an execution. And so this reality prompted Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, to write this. He said, when Christ calls a man, when Christ calls a woman, he bids them to come and die. So taking up the cross is a call to deny ourselves approval, to deny ourselves honor, to deny ourselves comfort, to deny ourselves this life. This is the way of the cross. Like anybody excited that they're here this morning, right? As I'm preparing for this, I'm thinking like, I know that pushes some buttons in people's lives because that's just not our culture. But here's the thing that, that I was, as I was writing this, I kept thinking about like, There's some pushback in our culture and I wanna press in to the pushback a little bit. Like I want you to understand that I'm not suggesting that seeking approval or seeking honor or seeking comfort or or this life of any sort is just flat out wrong. In fact, I actually believe that pursuing them is altogether right. In fact, I believe Jesus knows that what we need. Um, Jesus knows how He wired us and the desires He gave us. He knows that we crave these things. In fact, I know. I think that Jesus knows that we've been hard. This has sort of been hardwired into us. So Jesus isn't calling us to not seek them altogether. But I think what Jesus is calling us to is to pursue them pri- uh, properly and rightly, and to pursue these things. In Christ. And so the way of the cross may mean opposition from the world, but in return, what does it actually bring? Approval in Jesus, doesn't it? It means rejection in the world, but it actually means approval in Jesus' eyes. And so some of you may be getting eye rolls from family or friends or people uh, that you work with, or maybe even people that you just come across mocking you for what you believe or what it is that you stand for, for, for positions you take or for words that you share. Some of you in this room have faced opposition for that. But in return, to encourage you, you receive the approval of Jesus and that's really all that matters. And so it, it may bring shame from the world, but in return, it brings honor from Jesus. Like he's the one who gives you the well done good and faithful servant. Like the joy of your father from, from Jesus. And it, it may bring suffering from the world, but in return, it brings comfort from Jesus. It may bring death from the world, um, but the people will die today because they know Christ. And, and in return, It brings life abundant and eternal life from Jesus. And the question that we wrestle with before moving on is what means more to you in this life? Like really, who has the driver's seat? The the comfort and the approval and the honor and the life from Jesus Or receiving these things from the world? What means more to you? What is more precious to you? And these are vital questions for this call in verse 24 because it's a pursuit of something that's actually unattainable. Like if we love the world and what it offers more than Jesus and what he offers, it's unattainable. What would... Uh, what what we would be like if we if we tried to attempt verse 24 with a love for the world more than Jesus would be like someone starting a building project and then having to stop that project halfway through like you wouldn't be able to finish it and that analogy literally comes from Christ himself he said count the cost before you start building like we need to love him more and I can say this with assurance because it's exactly what John writes in 1 John 2:15 do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is what not in him like that's a harsh passage and so we need the love of the father in us if we're actually going to attain verse 24 and so that's the call deny take and follow and then the next three verses to follow uh, Jesus sort of gives us three reasons why and so I want to take these verses one by one first one verse 25 for or because whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it so you sort of get what Jesus is doing is doing deny take follow because if you try to save your life you'll lose it but if you lose your life for my sake you'll find it like anybody else confused by this passage it's sort of hard to understand so take it in halves. Look at verse 25 in the first half. Jesus says, because or for, whoever would save his life will lose it. So here's the question, save his life from what? Because it doesn't quite make sense. If you save your life, you'll lose your life. Save our life from what? So the, the answer is save your life from a life that chooses the cross. So whoever saves his life, whoever chooses a life that isn't the way of the cross, will actually lose their life. So one where we choose approval and honor and comfort in life or self-preservation in life, if that's most important outside of Jesus, we will lose our life. If it's living for our sake and not his, that's what saving our life is, living for our sake and not for the sake of Christ. Jesus says that if that's your aim, then you'll lose your soul. And the second half of verse 25 is the flip side of the argument. If you choose life or choose the life of the cross, if you choose to deny yourself, in other words, and follow Jesus, then you'll find your soul is what he says. You find your soul. So save your life from the cross, lose your soul, choose the cross and find it and you win. Is that not awesome? Like you wanna win? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus. But if we choose the other, we actually lose. And what I love about verse 25 is that it sort of affirms something that that I had mentioned earlier, the fact that life-winning and soul-saving are amazing pursuits in our lives. They're amazing pursuits. They're in us. God created us with those in us. Like, we want life. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting at home and I'm like, hard up for 12 days sick, there are times where I'm like, Jesus, please save my life. grant me another day. Like, I just want to continue on. Like, I, I don't want to die yet. And we are created in such a way that we don't want death. Like, we want life. We want abundance. We want a reward. We want this claim. We want honor. We want comfort. We want it all. And Jesus actually made us like that. And so what Jesus doesn't want is for us to settle for something less than what Jesus has for us. And that's what Jesus wants for you and me. He doesn't want you to settle. He doesn't want to to settle for anything less than what he has for it, anything less than what he has for us in him, in Jesus. Like, don't settle for the temporal comfort, the honor, the acclaim that the world offers you. And in, in the process, give up that which is most glorious and eternal that's only found in him. And this is Jesus's point. Like, let me ask you a question. Why must the way of the cross actually be our way as well i mean why couldn't the cross just simply be jesus's way like jesus you take the cross i'll do something else like why why not why why is that why do we follow this pattern and the answer is for the same reason that the way of the cross was the way for jesus it's to bring glory to god that was at the heart of everything that jesus did was to glorify his father for jesus The way of the cross brought salvation. It brought forgiveness. It conquered death. It set an example. It secured those promises that we talked about. But what it did most of all was it glorified his father in heaven. And the father is never more glorified than when Jesus was hanging on that cross. Imagine that. On the cross where where the love of God is like fully displayed for you and I, we understand what love is. Why? Because Jesus died for us while you and I were still stuck in our ways, while we were still sinners. But we also see the majesty and the greatness of the glory and the holiness and the righteousness of God with Jesus on the cross. Like That was first and foremost in Jesus' mind when he took the cross to bring glory to his father. And so that way, um, it's supposed to be our way as well. Like We take the cross like Jesus took the cross because when we take the cross, it makes much of Jesus. It places Jesus in the driver's seat. It literally says to the world, Like, I'm willing to deny myself, choose this over that, live like that instead of like this, give myself to that instead of this, not because I'm ripped off, but because I've got something much greater in store, giving up that for Jesus, and so we, we also get relationship and we get approval and we get honor and we get comfort and we get satisfaction and joy in Jesus. If we live like that in Coeur d'Alene, you will stand out. I mean, we often talk about the church of Jesus Christ as being a counter-cultural revolution, right? It's different than the world. What is it that sets us apart? The fact that you just do the right things and go to church on Sunday? No. The fact that you don't find your comfort you don't look for honor you don't look for your place in the rest of the world you're looking for everything to be sustained in Christ and the world just doesn't get that like what would it look like to live content in Jesus in Coeur in 2021 people will think that you've lost it you need to work your way up the ladder you need to right, sell high, buy low, like you need, you need to keep making your way, like make a name for yourself, get out there and promote, and like there's all these things that are pressuring us to do exactly the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to, which is live counter-culturally, deny yourself, find everything, your assurance, your identity, everything in Christ, not found horizontally here on this earth. And simply live the way of the cross. Like it's to be the way of the Christian because it makes much of Jesus. It says that in comparison to gaining Jesus, what this world has to offer is crap, honestly. And that's what Paul says, right? Paul says he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was the, the Benjaminite, he was circumcised on the eighth day, he was the Jew's Jew, he did everything right, and then he meets Jesus. And so that's the reason why the cross needs to be our way as well. Here's the second, verse 26. "'For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul?' Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Any business owners in the house this morning? At least one somewhere. Um, Okay, Uh, business owners. You don't necessarily have to be a business owner to understand this, but if you're a business owner, you have a lot of experience with something called a profit and loss report, right? Maybe some of you understand that, even if you're not a business owner. But if you're not familiar with it, it's a statement that sort of lays out your profits for the year, let's say, over a period of time, And and it... Parallels it with your expenses and your losses. And so your net gain at the end of the year, if you made, you know, a million bucks in a year and you spent seven hundred and fifty thousand, do the math for me, what's your net gain? Dude, good job. I'm really proud of you guys. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars would be your net gain, right? And what it tells us is that even if we gain in a lifetime, what we gain in a lifetime is everything that this world has to offer all the approval, all the honor, all the accolades, all the titles, all the treasures, everything that can be squeezed out of it, every bucket list item checked off, even if we gain everything in this world and yet we lose our soul, then your net gain is no gain at all. Is that not crazy? And how many of us have struggled at some point or know somebody at some point that have struggled to try to make something of themselves on this earth, only to realize you can work as hard as you want, climb the ladder as far as you want, stack up as much stuff as you want, only to find out that there's the potential that you can lose your soul in the midst of it because you chose that over Christ. Third and final reason, Um, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. I think we, we get what the reason is here. Like in the previous verse, Jesus said that exchanging your soul for the world is nonsense. Like it's a bad deal. And then now in this verse, Jesus says that giving our life in exchange for his kingdom will actually profit us, that we will be repaid. Each person will be repaid. But here's the truth about verse 27 and this repayment, is that we will not be repaid fairly, not even close. Like what we receive when we compare it to what we give up is not even worth comparing. I mean, like, look at what Paul says in Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is be, is to be revealed to us. So here's what you need to understand about what Paul's talking about here when he, when he talks about our sufferings. He's not downplaying your sufferings. In the context of Romans eight, he's talking about life and death and famine and beatings and earthquakes. He talks about all of it. He's not trying to diminish it or downplay it. And, and, and what he's doing is making much of the reward that's ahead. He says, it's not even worth comparing. Like what we give up is not worth comparing against what it is we gain. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Why is it not worth comparing? Because it's beyond all comparison. There's nothing to compare to it. Jesus says the third reason why is because you're going to be rewarded this way, eternally, not here on this earth. So deny now, take up your cross now, follow me now because you're going to be repaired, re- repaid, unfairly compensated because it will make much of the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? Like it actually wouldn't be gracious for us to be repaid by Jesus, fairly, because he's a gracious God. If we were repaid fairly, it would not be grace. If we got what we deserved, it wouldn't be grace. It's amazing to think about this. I'm gonna uh, end with this, this confession I'll make to you guys this morning. I'm gonna get real deep, real fast. Anybody in here like flying? Somebody, anybody in here hate flying? Okay, I'm on, I'm on that plane. Literally, right? Uh, I hate flying. And yet, for seasons of my life, my job depended on flying. Um, I've spent a lot of time in airplanes and flown all around the world. But I absolutely hate flying. And I hate most things about flying. Like, I hate the fact that when I have to take a flight out of Spokane, uh, that I have to leave my car in a parking lot like a few miles away in the middle of winter and get out of my car with a suitcase and roll it across the snow and wait for the bus to pick me up when it's freezing cold outside and it's dark. Like I dread that aspect. And then I dread the fact that when I come home from that trip, there's probably gonna be six inches of snow on my truck. I'm gonna have to scrape the ice off my windows, get all the snow off of it, heat my truck up, and then drive. like it just all sounds, I dread it. I hate it. I hate boarding the plane to get into my seat and find out that I just don't fit. Like, that's the cross I bear, right? Um, I hate the fact that I never have enough legroom in a flight. Chances are, any flight I get on, I'm gonna be uncomfortable for hours. I hate the fact that I'll most often be seated by another person my size. And um, that just makes it like brutal, where I'm just like, dude, I need elbow room. What I know is that I'm gonna be spending three hours on a plane with my forehead up against the seat in front of me, just praying to Jesus that I can sleep the whole time and escape the agony of having to fly. I hate that. I hate the fact that I can't sleep well on planes. I hate the fact that there's this mental game that goes on in me because one time I had a total panic panic attack flying over the ocean, heading to Germany, and I literally freaked out on the plane, my heart was racing, I thought I was having a heart attack and I was like going nuts, and anytime I'm on a long flight now, I dread being on a long flight because I'm afraid I'm gonna have that panic attack again. Like, I hate this. I dread the smells on airplanes. I dread the fact that I'm probably gonna get sat next to a person who decided that they didn't need to shower. I, I hate the fact that like turbulence frightens me. And this is a ton, but like I really think about these things. Turbulence, like I know it's turbulence probably isn't going to take down a plane, but whenever turbulence hits, like I'm white-knuckling it on the seat, and I'm just like, sweet Jesus, you know, like please get me safely through this flight. I know that God is sovereign. I know that my life is in his hands, but I was on one flight one time into Chicago, and the wind was so bad, it had to circle the airport for an hour before they could find a brief window where the wind led up enough for them to land and I kid you not, maybe some of you have been here and done this, but when you fly into Chicago and the wind's going, the plane comes in sideways. And I'm at the window and I'm like looking at the runway and I'm like, this is gnarly. And last minute like the wind hits it and it lands on the runway. I'm just like this is, you know, this is frightening to me. Like Horrified by these things, but yet I continue to get on planes. And the question I always ask myself is why in the world do I continue to fly when I dread it so much? Why do I pay money to get on an airplane when I know that I'm gonna hate every aspect of the flight? But do you know why I keep flying? (laughs) Because the destination is what keeps me moving. Like, I board a plane and I'm thinking about the fact that like man in a few hours I could be on the beach it's going to be sunny or I'm going to be accomplishing what I'm going to accomplish like there's something better on the other side of this so I'm willing to go through everything I have to pay the money I have to to get on the plane to go through what I need to because I know the destination is good I know there's something for me on the other side. And isn't that the way of the cross? Isn't that the way of Jesus? I mean, isn't that the way of Jesus as the writer of Hebrews describes it, that Jesus who despised the shame of the cross endured the cross, why? For the joy that was what? set before him for the glory that it brought his father that he pressed onwards towards the destination anthem like his way has to be our way as well he's our model he's our leader our shepherd paul writes that i have a desire to depart and be with christ for that is better by far but in the meantime what does paul do He's going to do good ministry. He's going to do what he says. And that should be our life, like good ministry, service, being the hands and feet of Jesus, a desire to be with him and to know him, to make much of Jesus here on this earth. While we're doing what? We're looking ahead at what awaits us, and we're not getting trapped in what the world has tried to convince us we can find here because you can't. And most of you know this. Cheesy, you know, I I know, but we often talk about the holes in our hearts that only God can fill. He built you. Those desires and those things in you, He built you with those. But it never intended for you to fill those things with the things you've reached for to try to sustain you. It was Him all along. And so we get our eyes off of this world, we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, we follow Jesus. And it's the destination that Jesus is talking about in verse 28 when he says, "'Truly I say to you, there are some standing here "'who will not taste death "'until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom.'" And that verse is super confusing. I'll get back into it next week because I think it points to chapter 17. Um, But this passage sort of gives us this glimpse into the destination that's coming. And so followers of Jesus, like I wanna close By asking you to hear the call of the Lord one more time. I want you to hear it. Deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And why in the world would we do that? Because by losing you, you will find, because nothing is worth the price of your soul. Nothing. And a time is coming when when the price you've paid will be compensated with the reward that is beyond all comparison in this life. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. And I wanna end by praying for you guys. And I wanna encourage you guys this morning with this. Keep flying. (laughs) Keep going because the destination is worth it, isn't it? The destination is worth it, isn't it? The destination is worth it, isn't it? Jesus is worth it, isn't it? Our eternal destination is worth any junk that we go through on this earth. I mean, we think we live in a world of chaos and everything's going to hell in a handbasket, and it might be. But I'll tell you this, it's a little price to pay for the massive reward that awaits us on the other side. That's what we rejoice in. I mean, even as we end in worship this morning, man, I don't don't know about you guys, but after being laid up for 12 days and having some really brutal nights, the the day that I turned the corner and started getting better, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get outside. (laughs) You know, I need to go walk the dog. Like, I feel super grateful to be alive. And for some reason, God looked at each one of you this morning and said, I'm gonna continue to give you the oxygen that you need, the air in your lungs. I'm gonna continue to give you what you need to sustain this day. And there's a purpose in that, it's not for naught. It's not for nothing. And so for you guys this morning, is the destination worth it for you? Are you grateful for what's ahead, which actually should change your perspective on what's taking place right before you? Because we look above the junk that's going on around us. And we look for Jesus and where he's at. And what he's doing and what awaits us in him, not awaits us on this earth. But would you stand with me? There's a handful of people that I want to pray for um, this morning. As I was praying for this morning, I was thinking that there are some of you. There's some of you in here that just do not know Jesus. And, um, you know, some of these harsh passages. You know, I'm sorry that's your introduction to Jesus this morning but I'm not um, because what you've done in your life is you've reached for everything to try to make yourself happy you've looked towards everything working your way up the ladder acquiring this, gaining that because there's something in you that you're trying to fill only to find out once you have those things what happens? Honestly you look for the next, right? Right? because that thing's only good for so long before you want more, and you gotta continue that process. It's like a horrible addiction. And at the end of the day, what you find out is that none of those things make me happy. None of those things bring me joy. None of those things make me content. None of those things give me his peace and his rest because it's only found in him. And so for those of you this morning that might not know Jesus, that have reached and clawed and tried to make your way in this life, my encouragement to you this morning is he's drawing you to himself. He's speaking to your heart this morning to tell you that he has something for you that only he can provide that you won't find anywhere else that is incomparable to anything that you'd experience on this earth. For some of us in this room that are believers, I know I've had seasons of my life where I've been so like myopic and focused on my issues or what I'm going to gain and trying to make something of myself or for myself on this earth, only to find myself super tired and stressed and anxious and feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders. And yet it's moments like this, even coming through sickness or reading through this passage where I just go, Jesus, fill me with your gratitude for what I do have. Thank you, Jesus, for another day. Yeah, we're, we're alive in some crazy times, but you're literally alive in some days that our forefathers prayed that they could see. Some really exciting times. And Jesus is on the move. He's doing his thing. He's building his church. So would you bow your heads with me? If you're here this morning and The Lord's moving in your heart. I'm just gonna ask you to sort of raise your heart to him this morning. I mean, do time with him. Let him know where you're at, what you need. And Jesus, I just come before you this morning and I pray as we lift our hearts to you and our needs to you, God, I pray that you be the one that sustains us, God. I pray for those in this room that just know that they've been reaching and clawing and trying to gain and do, and the whole time what they've been afraid of is denying themselves, making any sort of sacrifice, and they've had a hard time thinking about following you with their lives. And I pray this morning, Jesus, that they'd be able to look you in the eyes, Lord, look you in the face, to know, Jesus, that you are real, that you love them, that you're granting them forgiveness of their sins, salvation, eternal life, your peace, your rest, God, your ability to have contentment on this earth that is never content. And I pray supernaturally, God, that you would just give them your peace as they invite you in this morning. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in your church. I thank you, Jesus, that we get to partner with you in that work and be a part of it. And I ask, God, that there just be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in Kootenai County. That is our As our county wrestles through the, the, the multiple sides of these arguments and as the county wrestles through all the stuff that's taking place and it seems chaotic. God, I pray that we would be the people of peace that would stand in the gap and ask Jesus, you come and do your thing. Give us opportunities to pray for the sick. Give us opportunities um, to literally invite people to come follow you, God, to find that rest and contentment that they could find nowhere else. And Jesus, have your way with us, in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.